We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? What a way to go into the All-Star break. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. You're listening to the Laker Film Room podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Guys, I always talk about how the Lakers are my favorite novella, and one of the ways that sometimes they will end a season, you'll gasp and be like, oh, I can't wait for the next episode, but you got to wait a long time. And that's where we're at, man. What The last game before the All-Star break, Lakers try out a new starting lineup, one that our very own Mike Trudell called here on this podcast yesterday, and it looked beautiful. Mike, there are all sorts of reasons for you know my Laker heart to be pinging all over the place after that performance, but you called it, man. You saw it, and the bench was rougher at the beginning, but had a good second half, and Lakers got their first blowout win in a minute. Talk to me about what you saw, Mike. Well, there are certain things that really do just fit right away. Like, do you think the first time that somebody had peanut butter and jelly, they got it? Or do you think that that took a little while? That must have been an amazing moment. Like, oh my God, you guys, you have to try this. (laughs) What what is that? And then, and then were there, there had to be haters too with it. It was like, nah, that's like, there was another way to eat peanut butter with something else. Yeah. You're some kind of idiot. Why why would you have that together? And I don't know, man, I'm, I'm still in the, I do think that this is going to work. So I don't think it's small sample size theater. And I thought the Mm -hmm. way, the reason that they did it in the first place, part of it is just simple basketball logic like put shooting in the backcourt around around guys that are going to have the paint packed against them um and then Vanderbilt not necessarily being a shooter but he can do all of the as LeBron termed it last night Swiss army knife stuff and to me one of the biggest wins there is that he can go out and guard a perimeter type player Brandon Ingram and mm-hmm. by the way some people on the Pelican staff are saying that he guards Ingram better than anybody in the league and Amazing. that's something that you think huh well, if you can guard Ingram like that, then you can guard almost any wing because Ingram yeah. is one of the tougher wings to actually guard because like that dude can get buckets in all kinds of places in the half court. This is one of the main questions that we were asking right after the trade happened, Mike, was like, oh, can he guard on the perimeter? Because because if he can, if you can guard Brandon Ingram, that's a game changer for us defensively. 
Yeah, so that's a, so keep that in the thought bubble, and we'll get back to that. Then Malik Beasley is simply what LeBron terms a laser, which I, I feel like that's now it's coming more and more into the lexicon just because players keep saying it, and that's usually what dictates it. So I, I guess I should start using that. Um, so he's a laser. Even if he's not hitting shots, he's he's causing the defense to react a certain way. And then to get into Darius terminology, D'Angelo Russell just slotting into that third spot um, behind LeBron and AD where he can take usage out of LeBron's hands. If get, Depending on if LeBron wants it, he can just run screen roll with somebody. He can get his own shot. Uh, he's crafty. He's looking for AD on lobs like on, on one hand. Then he's looking for LeBron in transition. And he's spotting up and he's sitting in the corner in other spots when LeBron is running action with AD. So all of that stuff works. You know, Pete, Pete and I had talked about the potential lack of perimeter defense from Beasley and Russell, but when you have Vanderbilt that can get out there also, and AD is as locked in, AD was amazing. Uh, I thought last night on both ends. So yes, all of that, I think combined to work. Now I'll get to more of the counterpoints later. Like I, I didn't think new Orleans was particularly good other than Ingram and CJ kind of making some shots and, and they're, you know, they're, I think, down a little bit, knowing that Zion's going to be out for a little bit. And the Lakers had to win this game, whereas New Orleans just beat them. So some of those factors, I thought, played into the Lakers' hands. And it's not always going to be like that after the All-Star break. But uh, that's just the starting lineup. I think th- the bench made some sense, too. But I want to get your guys' thoughts on that start. Uh, the Lakers jump all over them. They're up by uh, 13 points w- within a couple of minutes and what does it end up? Yeah, what does it end up being like 13, 17 to four or something? So um, it was uh, it was about as good as you could have hoped for with that new look group. Yeah, Mike. So the starting lineup last night played 13 minutes together. In those 13 minutes, they had an offensive rating of 134.6 and a defensive rating of 100 even. Another fancy stat is 100 percent assist percentage. Oh, yeah. We had a ton of assists on our shot. Yeah. So every basket when the starters were on the floor was an assisted basket, which is kind of unreal. And and something that also always keeps that stat down. The Lakers got to the free throw line a ton. Now they missed a ton of free throws, but those are some of those shots like are should be assisted. Right. Right. Like if if you're going to draw a free throw, a lot of those free throws came from some action with that first group. Yeah, Mike. So you said 17 to four. The Lakers gave up a couple of baskets right after that. And then the sub started, but I think the starting group, the concern to me, and we'll get to this a little bit more later, is defensively, like in the backcourt, you're asking Beasley and D'Lo to basically Mm -hmm. just defend and work their tails off defensively. But Malik Beasley has that like early season Lonnie Walker vibe to him in terms of defense, (laughs) which is like, Uh hey, I'm out here to try. Like people think I can't do this. And so I'm going to just try and try and try and he has some defensive skills too pete yeah and in the locker room afterward he was like yeah my job is to guard the other team's best guard right so it sounds like that's kind of the plan is he's gonna get whomever that is and at that six four size he's somewhere in between a point guard size and shooting guard size he's got the athletic tools to do it but asking malik beasley to be your best guard defender that's some certainly going to be a storyline going forward yeah it's going to be tricky i also think that What the starting lineup does is that it makes LeBron more of a guard again in his own way offensively. A lot more bringing the ball up, a lot more just sort of initiating sets. Um, And I think that's part of it. Like the Lakers were playing so many three guard lineups at times that LeBron was barely bringing the ball up at all. Right. Because it. In fact, if it wasn't like Dennis or the other guard, you would still have like Pat Bev, 
who would bring the ball up a fair about. And, and so there was a lot of, well, I'm not going to do any of this because if I am, then we're sort of wasting the skill sets of the other guys right. that, that are in the group. But in this, in this setup, D'Lo is sort of a natural point guard or he's a combo guard with a lot of like point guardish vibes offensively in terms of him being able to run the show. But Beasley's a shooting guard. He can bring the ball up. He can run a pick and roll. He had a nice like lob to, to AD when uh, sort of leveraging his gravity coming off of screens. But for the most part, he's an off ball shooter and he's a movement guy. He's a guy that you're going to run screens for. They had a couple of nice actions for him in order to try to set him up coming off of screens, Pete. But this slots LeBron back up into a ball handling role for, mm-hmm. if not it's not going to be all of his possessions, but a fair amount of them, right? Because the Lakers want to run stagger pin down actions for D'Angelo Russell too. Like they want to use him as an off ball threat. And that means LeBron is going to have to take some of those possessions back. And so I thought it was a, a sort of reshifting back to what we know LeBron is excellent at obviously and sort of bringing him back into the fold as a guard I think is one of the benefits of this starting lineup as well yeah the way I kind of view it is you've got the power and force guys in the middle we started out that game with a lot of LeBron and AD pick and roll and so when you think about those two slot those two positions up top that was the LeBron and AD pick and roll of which we like to run that a lot against teams that have big slow-footed bigs so like a Valanchunas a Steven Adams type of guy that's an action that we really like to go to against that and when you think about that against those guys D'Lo hit two threes in that very first shift off of this action, this LeBron AD ball screen, where he started in the corner. Mike Delo was telling you the other day about how he was excited about the corner stuff because that is a, a distinctly shooter position that can then flow into a ball handler position. So it basically melds right to Delo's game, like you were just saying, D. And so he started out in the corner. We ran the ball screen. You've got Valanciunas in a drop because that's usually the coverage that the big slow-footed guys can run. And he needs help on that. So you've got CJ McCollum dropping down to tag on the roll man in AD. And then D'Lo lifts up from the corner to the wing, knocks down a that wing three. And he's bigger than a guy like McCollum. So he's, you know, he's got a pretty clean shooting stroke there. It's it, it works, right? If he's not open, it can flow into a ball screen. The same is true of Beasley on the other side. So this is the first time that we've had distinctly drivers and force up top and distinctly shooters in the corners, which is kind of how it's supposed to work in terms of this offense. And we basically had mostly drivers on the team until then. And so even something like we ran a Spain pick and roll where Beasley would pop up to the top and he did. And I think it was Jones. It might have been Murphy who made this mistake. But he, his job is basically to to hedge and then get back to the shooter. And he did that, but he did it too much. And Beasley back cut it. And D'Lo hit him with a bounce pass. Beasley hit a little floater in the lane off of that. That's the type of gravity that just wasn't there. And so I'm so excited to see us put up 120 on a night where we couldn't hit a freaking free throw. LeBron, Rui, and Bamba, who we'll talk about, I think, a little bit later, were like 0 for 14 from three. We didn't shoot well from three. We were like 10 for 37. And 
so there were a lot of points left on the table, Mike, and that's something Darwin spoke to at the end. And so, yeah, man, what a way, like I said, to go into the all-star break. It feels like feels like the potential is very high. And I asked a couple of the guys after the words, just what do you think in terms of this new look and what can you take away from it? And sometimes guys will just give you, you know, some cliches out of that if they're not really sure. But there there was definite optimism out of the group. It was started with Darvin. Even LeBron kind of allowed for some he, – he couched it. And I might have even couched it in the way that I asked the question as in, you know – I know it's small sample size and, you know, you guys got to come back from the Ulster break and there's a there's a, a long way to go to c- kind of push up the hill. And and he said, yeah, there for sure is, you know, but I think there is now some confidence within the group. There's some energy within the group. There's mm-hmm. some fluidity within the group. And there there's at least the knowledge that if they do play really well, that they they can they can close that gap. Like it's not insurmountable um, at this point to at least give themselves a shot. And it is going to require things to go right. But Pete, we had looked at this part of the schedule a couple of weeks ago, and even though it's mostly against Western teams, there is a there is a period here in March where, or, you know, obviously there's some games in February, but the end of February and getting into March where it's a bit more home heavy. You know, it's mm-hmm. some teams towards the middle of the pack there, some down towards the bottom, and you know there's movement that can be made um, if the Lakers keep this level of energy and connectivity. And when you start it, when you start a game like you just mentioned with LeBron James and Anthony Davis pick and rolls, it's that within its own right is a little bit of urgency and seriousness that mm, good they point. haven't always gone to. You know where that's sometimes that's sometimes in action, and and I'm kind of thinking, yeah, that this is the time. Like this is the time to go mm-hmm. to that a little bit more, uh, and not to and, and while also keeping their minutes relatively down. It helped because it was a blowout, but they wanted to keep LeBron's minutes to around thirty. And he would have had the like had it been a tight game, he probably would have ended up at you know 32, 33, something like that, because he didn't have to go mm-hmm. in for the last couple. But that's just something to watch as well. Is that some of these units that didn't play as well were were because LeBron and AD's minutes were kept low, and the Lakers just sort of survived, and New Orleans didn't play particularly well. But if you put LeBron and AD with this type of these guys around them for, for closer to thirty five minutes, then you've got a lot of pretty strong lineups throughout the game. There's definitely a way to seek out balance, as Darvin Ham has discussed a fair amount regarding the lineups. I want to stick with the starting stuff for a second longer, just because I do think the complementary skill sets of these guys really is natural. And I love the idea of slotting connecting players, and I said this before, between LeBron, AD, and and Russell. And I think the exploration of connecting skill sets is a super interesting idea to me. And I think we often think about it most with a guy like Austin Reeves. We thought about it a lot with like Alex Caruso, sort of these do-it-all versatile guards who can be like lower usage guys and just sort of pass and screen and cut and move the ball. It's just like, hey, everyone loves to play with this dude on the playground sort, sort of guy, right? But there's other archetypes, Pete, for connecting players. And Vanderbilt, to me, is, is an excellent example of that. But Beasley is as well yeah. in, in yeah. his own way. And so you're nodding a log here. And so I'm just going to not even set you up. I'm just going to pass the baton. Because what are you seeing with those two guys specifically? Because they are interesting fits with this group. 
Bro, I'm so I'm so glad that you brought this up on the pod because you brought this up in the text thread of uh, after the trade of the idea of Beasley as a connecting player, and I'd never thought of him or guys like him in that way. But it's like, oh, that's that's really good, and we saw some of that, and so both Beasley and Vanderbilt on the floor being connecting play pieces, but connecting pieces in a different way is really important. And so Vanderbilt, for example, like. Mike rightly pushed back yesterday when I was like, oh, he reminds me of Lamar Odom. And I I wanted the chance to further expound upon that because what I, what I mean by that is Lamar is one of the more underrated defenders, I think, in Lakers history. One of the more underrated dirty work type of guys. He was a really good defensive player, really good defensive rebounder in ways that I think his offensive skill and flash would overshadow a little bit, but he was super helpful. And when you want to put a ton of skill out there, and so this this team is starting to remind me of those late, uh, the 2008 team, the 2009 type of squad in that respect, in that you can put just a ton of skill on the court at the same time with Anthony Davis at the five, LeBron James at the four. You know, D'Angelo Russell, Beasley, these are guys that that is the personality of their game. It's built upon skill. To be able to do that, you need guys that can muck it up enough to be able to win those types of battles. And so Vanderbilt defensively in particular, him guarding B.I., like I said, that's a game changer. He's like I've been conceptualizing him as a, as a big man, and I still do to a degree, but B.I. has these physical advantages over guards. Remember who we had guard him in the last game? It was Patrick Beverly. And I talk about winning battles on the ground versus in the air. Look, once it gets past a certain point, Bev can't do anything about it. Vanderbilt's one of the few guys that can stay with B.I. laterally on the perimeter and win some of the battle. Like, B.I.'s gotten so good that he's, like, going to win some of his own anyway. But... He can bother Vanderbilt can bother him up high in ways that very few players can, and Bi is not used to that. And so, to be able to do that, but also be a, an interior rebounder, kind of muck it up guy on the offensive end, he can run handoffs with Beasley. He has like a comfort with the ball in his hands that is just super helpful to keep things running. And so, I'll let you talk about Beasley and about that. But what do you see, D, in terms of those connecting pieces? So Vanderbilt, I thought you spelled out a lot of the stuff with with Vanderbilt well. I think his ability to also do a lot of different things on the court offensively while not demanding to have to do them is sort of the trademark of a connecting mm -hmm. player in general, right? And so he can be a grab-and-go guy, and so he can then be in the middle of, of a fast break. He can run the wing on a fast break. He can... He can really cut well offensively. He had um, a couple of easy baskets just taking advantage of a Pelican's defense that was pre-rotating. And they were pre-rotating off of him or off of weak side action in order to try to gum up the middle with Anthony Davis rolling to the middle of the floor or LeBron James sort of like occupying defensive attention. And there goes Vanderbilt sort of slipping into the creases. And so he has a lot of that to to his game and he's also a good screener he's a good he's a good enough passer and so these are all the hallmarks of of a connective player he's also a connective player defensively in in that and i said this in uh, the text thread to to you guys yesterday i think but i view vanderbilt more as a four three than i do as yeah. like a four five four where, five which is where, how a lot of people yeah 
Yeah, I think that a lot of times he would be looked at as a small ball big. And like, I get it. I get that. But mm-hmm. he's really never going to have to play that role on this specific team. Like the Lakers mm-hmm. played a small ball lineup and it was LeBron and Rui at the four and the five. Now we'll see Vanderbilt could easily replace Rui there. I also I also think that was foul trouble for Bamba. I think Bamba was supposed to be that. Sure. He was really bad in his first shift and picked up, picked up some fouls. So I'm not even sure that's the, the plan big picture at all. Yeah. And so, but we'll see, at least they, I, we know that they have that look though in them because LeBron has done that effectively, but defensively, he reminds me so much more of like, sort of like this massive wing sort of archetype instead. We need that so badly too. Yes. Well, he just doesn't have a lot of heft like in his back pocket, like he's not like a Rui where you're just like, oh, like he is much more of like a gazelle guy sort of running around out there. And he does show good lateral quickness. He does show an understanding on how to cut off angles. One of the things, and I'll look at this while we go to break, but one of the things that he was doing to BI, it wasn't like all of his on ball work as like, oh, I'm contesting you high and I'm and I'm bothering your shot. No one really bothers BI's shot. It's just like Anthony Davis might. But like even a, a guy who's the same size as him, like his release point is too high. The thing I loved about Vanderbilt's defense on on BI is that he was just in straight up ball denial mode. And so he was just like, nope, like I'm denying you all the way out to half court. If you're going to mm-hmm. even make a catch here, it's going to be 40 feet from the basket. And then you're going to have to try to create. For it. Right. Yep. Like, and so it's that sort of stuff that to me is like the connecting piece that he brings defensively. It's not just like, oh, well, I can I can contest high and I can slide when you try to create off off of the dribble. Of course, we want all of that stuff. But the ability mm-hmm. to chase. And like when to go over and under a screen and navigate all of those actions, that's super important. And if he can do that against such a screen, BI uses a ton of screens, both on and off the ball. And so that was a major test for Vanderbilt, like in terms of his his off ball acumen as much as his on ball acumen that you would have against BI. So let's. Let's go to break here. When we come back on the other side, I do want to talk a little bit more Beasley before we transition to some of the bench groups. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, let me stop you before you talk about Beasley and and talk about Vanderbilt for another minute quick. 
and as we know, um, I've watched a lot of Timberwolves and I just, I think that this guy is better still than the league realizes. Uh, and you know, he, mm-hmm. so he was second on the Timberwolves in the 2021, 22 season, which was their best season in many, many years. Um, they probably should have beaten Memphis in that playoff series and ended up essentially vomiting up three games uh, that they were up by double digits. And, but you know, still they had, they had some limits on the team, but he was second on that team in net rating in the regular season. And then you get to the playoffs and he struggled some and like they, this is going to lead me to what the situation is with who you have to put around him with the Lakers. But like the Timberwolves had some certain lineups that were skill lineups and it would be like with Carl Anthony towns, and Russell and then sometimes and, and like Anthony Edwards at certain times if he was shooting the ball well mm-hmm. but they didn't quite have like a full lineup of guys that had enough skill sets where especially in a playoff series you know teams can defend Vanderbilt a certain way and like that's when I'm I mean the still in the whole shooting can be overrated thing but it's got to be it's got to work with certain lineups and in the regular season like his energy and just he the way that he played and all of the Swiss Army knife types, uh, Swiss Army knife type stuff, really helped them because he could switch out onto the perimeter with defenders. He could play big at times. He, but now you bring him into this Lakers mix, and if he's got with AD at the five, and then the two skill guys in the backcourt in terms of the shooting and stuff like that, and then LeBron freaking James, like that to me is the is the place where he can be ideal, and where you really can then get all of the the maximum benefit from what what his skill set brings and he especially for what he's making he's going to be like 4.5 next year um i i just think that a lot of good teams that's the kind of guy that they could really use um and and that's that's something Mm -hmm. that i think is gonna like pete i don't just think of it for the lakers starting lineup right now but thinking about him being on the team next year and then getting to realize what he does and getting to kind of plan for some of that um that's that's not something that's easy to go out in there and find on its own in the trade market or in free agency. And the Lakers already got him on the roster and he wasn't necessarily even seen as the biggest piece of a trade in which they unloaded Westbrook and all that money for. So I just want to try to put some context around what the Lakers got out of this guy. And, you know, I think that he can continue to help a lot. It's funny, you described a a perfect fit of sorts, right? Uh, Not only for the Lakers, but also for Vanderbilt in terms of the kind of guys that he's around. As D'Lo was walking off the court yesterday, he was telling one of our, our camera guys, he's like, man, it's so easy to play off of LeBron and AD. Someone in, in the locker room afterward, after he after the walk-off, asked him like, hey, you know, you're used to playing with two stars. And I think it was, my thought in my head was like, playing with LeBron and AD is very different than playing with Towns and Edwards, for example. And that sort of, I'm just struck by the degree that Russ, in terms of skill set, was probably the exact opposite of what we needed. And I think that that there was just kind of a, a clash that we were always trying to resolve. That is, again, I'm not trying to, I'm not blaming Russ or anything for that. It's just what he does is a very different thing than what I think we needed. You have you have a lot of credibility on the not blaming Russ uh, standpoint. So, so <laughs> you, yeah, you can say that, and, and that's it's true. I, I I know that. Well, it's 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 one of those things, Mike, where like. I said at the beginning, I would have loved, I I thought it was a fascinating basketball idea to kind of stack athleticism and force upon force upon force. 
We also messed up a bunch of other things during his tenure that I was always very adamant about. And I loved there's a, a an article on NBA.com of which the headline was Palinka says, don't blame Russell Westbrook for all of the Lakers woes. And I'm like, thank you. I'm so glad that somebody of authority said that on his way out. That said, I'm struck by the degree that these guys between Vanderbilt and D'Lo, and we've just scratched the surface, like what they naturally do really fits. It's the opposite of, of Russ in a lot of ways. And I think Beasley plays into this as well, D. So I know you wanted to get into to him a bit. So talk to me about what you've seen from him. Well, just to carry over the part of the discussion from earlier about him being a connecting player, there are certain skill sets individually that when you bring them to to the court, they are a bridge between your well, your best players. And mm-hmm. one of the things that I think a lot of people look for from Russ to sort of care to bring that part in to the equation as well is that Russ was not a bridge between LeBron James and Anthony Davis. If LeBron is an island and AD is an island, Russ was his own other island. Own island, yep. And and what you needed then was another bridge player in order to connect these, these star guys that were sort of disparate parts. And when you look at former three star builds, in which you would want them to be successful, there was always that bridge player. Chris Bosh became that bridge player for those Miami Heat teams. Kevin Love became that bridge player for Kyrie Irving and LeBron James. Just that idea of like, I can, you can run plays for me. I can just be a shooter. I can rebound. I can do some of these in-between stuff that sort of connect my two sort of ball handling stars. Well, this to me though is a very... When we talk connecting pieces and bridges, that level of guy, the Kevin Love, uh, Chris Bosh, hopefully D'Lo can do that for us. That's a different type than an Austin Reeves type. So what's the distinction there? No, so 100%. The thing that I was talking about is like the star then, you needed more connect, you you needed even more connecting players because your star, your third star, quote unquote, wasn't going to be that guy oh, in right. terms of so Russ. It, it increased right? that need everywhere yeah, so, else. Right. Yeah. So right. the need was amplified because of, mm-hmm. of what was going on. And bringing it back to Beasley now, Beasley's shooting and off-ball movement and a guy who has gravity, like the way that he has gravity is super important for opening up different parts of the floor and actions that you can run for your team. And it's why you wouldn't, he's not this slick Austin Reeves connecting player, ball fake, bounce pass to LeBron, cut like, oh, I'm I'm setting an on-ball <laughs> uh-huh. inverted screen and look at me, I'm operating in the pocket and I'm ball faking and kick to the corner. I love dudes like that. Like those guys Mm -hmm. speak my love language in terms of basketball. (laughs) Yes. But Beasley's not that dude. His connecting power is, yeah, man, run me off this double, this like this double wide pin down and I'm going to come off and I'm looking to fire. And the defense knows I'm looking to fire. And so they're running at me. It's mentality. Yes. Like how many times are we like, shoot the ball, Austin? Like, yeah. 100%. And so when I look at Beasley, the connecting skill that he has is just that sort of unconscious, I'm always on fire in NBA Jam parlance, right? Like, I'm always looking to shoot it. And that that has value to a team where, especially when it's perimeter gravity. LeBron's always been great with these guys, man. It's such, it's such an important piece of the puzzle when your two best players 
are paint hungry players. Right. And mm-hmm. and so like Beasley may not be the the guy who is going to make like the Luke Walton all stars for like Zach Lowe. Right. Like the 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 great passing player who has all of this like super high like basketball IQ moving the ball this way and that way. No, this dude's a flamethrower. LeBron's like, this dude's a laser. He could shoot 36 percent from three. But it's the fact that he's going to take eight of them a damn game. And defenses are just like, this is what this dude does. You have got to get out there to guard him. And it opens things up. And so that's the one piece I just wanted to say on Beasley that you don't you wouldn't typically think of him as a connecting player. But this one skill set in this lineup with this group connects everything because he is just the way that he wants to play the game is so complimentary. And just to just to underscore that a little bit more. When Austin closed the end of the first half. And, you know, I think Pete may have said in the chat that like he was passing up some shots and Austin didn't take a shot Mm -hmm. in the first half. Sometimes that's a great thing to have on the court when there's a guy that's willing to not take the shot and to make the extra pass and to do all the little Mm -hmm. things and and set the screens with with certain lineups, though. And I think that this this stuck out to me more thinking about LeBron and AD and the way that teams want to defend them with certain lineups. you, You almost have to get it in the defensive players head that they can't. Like they every single time they have to clear the area to go out to the shooter. Yes. And then because when that happens and then there's space, right? Like it it just changes the way that the flow in the in the rhythm of the offense is. And I think that's what you were getting at, Pete, is that you're you're basically trying to train how the defense has to guard you. And Mm -hmm. if you do that on a LeBron or in an AD team, then they're going to get to the middle of the paint. Um, and when that happens, then it's really game over. So it's not so much about the three point shooting itself. It's about like creating the type of balance that you want to attack uh, in the half court. Yeah, it's like what decision do you want the defense to have to make? Because if it's between perimeter guys that can't shoot and Anthony Davis rolling to the basket, that actually becomes very easy on the court because you just have to default toward the basket every single time. If you're doing that in a decision between Anthony Davis rolling to the basket and Malik Beasley getting a clean open spot up look that's that's a more complicated decision and so that's really important to be able to have that balance and complementary aspects that really excited to watch going forward before we go I'd love to talk a little bit of Mo Bamba. We got to see Mo Bamba's de- debut last night, D. And so the way I'm I'm thinking of Bamba is he essentially replaces Thomas Bryant but He's somebody who can stay on the floor defensively or bring something to the table that allows us to play the same way defensively throughout the game without getting burned. I'm a huge TB fan. I hope he gets paid and I hope he does really well, uh, you know, where he goes going forward. But there was a lot of times where he'd be on the court and it'd be a bit helpless because guys would go right at him. And at that five spot, that can be difficult. And so Bamba, I thought, had a Pretty poor first half. He didn't hit a three in five attempts overall. But his second half defensively, and he played alongside Rui, who I want to slightly pull into this conversation as well. Like his length, like (laughs) that type of guy, it's just he just changes the equation for the bench. So talk to me about what you saw from Mobamba. Well, Mike, I just want to kick this to you really quickly as well, because we've talked about TB within the context of like that red carpet and that invitation. And so Bamba had a play in the second half where B.I. racked baseline and he went to go dunk the damn ball. He was like, I'm going to dunk this. Oh, yeah. 
I don't I don't care yeah, who's there. A lot of those. Mm-hmm. I don't care who is there. I'm dunking this damn ball. And Mo Bamba stepped up there and he was just like, yeah, not this time. Like, even if he was going to foul him, it was going to be not this time. Instead, he just reached out there with that massively long arm and blocked B.I.'s dunk. And that's not a thing you see happen very often to Brandon Ingram. Ingram's one of those guys whose elevator goes to the 12th floor and a lot of guys, their elevator only goes to the 10th and he just Mm -hmm. goes right over the top of them. Bamba is one of those guys who his elevator can go to the 13th and 14th floor, right? He can play even, he can play at the top of the square pretty regularly without even being able to jump that high because his standing reach is enormous. Crazy. And, And so Mike, just to kick it to you here on that point, like, the types of blocks and rim protection that Bamba was was offering, that's what I saw. It was just this, even at the end of plays where like, oh, it's a foul and it's after the fact and guys are still trying to shoot it and Bamba is just sort of like going over the back of his own teammate and just blocking his sh- like, like, no, you're not going to do any of that here. And it's such a stark contrast to TB's defensive ability. And that's really the pivot point here because Bamba's not going to be as good as Thomas Bryant offensively. That's right. But he so can be a to... please, no, no, no. Please. No, no. Yeah, finish your finish your thought. And then we'll jump in. No, but but he's going to be I think such a significant different type of defensive player and and his impact mm-hmm. defensively is going to be important enough where he might just be the better fit. And that's sort of interesting to me when I think of Bamba. And that's what my thoughts are with him. I wanted to shout out uh, Veronica Zhang, who was in the building last night, who who does a lot for the Lakers in China. Um, And Joey Ramirez, shout out to him, uh, helped helped her like get credentialed and was over visiting from China. And, you know, just massive NBA fan, massive Laker fan and kind of represents to me some of what what I've been to China uh, twice now with the Lakers. And this just unbridled passion and love for the NBA um, that's, that's, that's awesome. over there for a lot of people. And so she was there. And so, so the reason I bring it up is that talking to Bamba after the game, um, you could feel this just like, man, I, I can't believe that I just got to play with the Lakers in this building mm-hmm. next to LeBron and AD on the team. And he like, he could barely contain himself. He's like, that was awesome. <laughs> and you don't, you know, mm-hmm. you don't always get those. Like this is a professional sport. These guys are pros. Mm-hmm. Like these guys work their ass off and are talented to get to this spot. So to see somebody um, have that and now to bring in some of the basketball, like the first couple minutes were rough. And I even mentioned something in the thread because it looked a lot like what I had seen and heard from some people in Orlando where like it, what Darius just talked about, that is there, but there's also the times where he was just getting cooked, uh, like going straight into him. And Hernan Gomez, mm-hmm. who's a really crafty player, like was getting buckets inside and Bamba was fouling and then he was late. And then the second half, all of a sudden, like the, the, the difference between him from a rhythm standpoint or whatever it was, because we, I did, I had to even say to myself, like, I let's, let's give him another shift. Right before we officially uh, say put Wendy and Gabriel back in, <laughs> so generous of us, yes. You know, let's you give more him than more one than two minutes before, before you get the Apollo hook uh, off the yeah. stage. Yeah. But, that, but that shows you the pressure that the Lakers are under, right? And that, that it does, it does, like it does, because sometimes you don't get that much more than a shift. Uh, and yep. if you're a certain type of player, so I just thought that 
in that it, the underscoring there for me is just like let's continue to give him some time because there is the reason to but his excitement maybe that represents some of what the concern was with the motor or with whatever it was and maybe he just like that situation in Orlando where he he's like I'm a lottery pick but I don't feel like one of your guys and like I'm not really being featured and you don't think I'm going to be like whereas now maybe this is a different type of NBA life that he can have um and especially to be able to do that in LA is is something that is worth for him fighting for in a different way. Yeah, very curious to see that aspect of him for sure. Um, on the court, I thought the the first half was indicative of kind of the bad of the Rui Bamba combo. Um, and then the second half was a lot of the good of it. And so in the, that first half, Hernan Gomez is giving them shoulders and elbows and just creating space around the rim and getting offensive rebounds and really kicking their butts. And that's one thing between Rui and Baba. They both have high centers of gravity. And so those kind of guys can be vulnerable to those bumps on the ground and whatnot. But then in the second half, there were like five straight possessions where either Bamba or Rui, like on a closeout or on a rebound, uh, where they really impacted a play because of their length. And it was like, oh, if we can find a way to harness this and a way to win those battles against those guys that are bumping them off and all of that, there's there's something there. So that's, the I think, the main takeaway from last night's game is it is one game, it is a small sample and all of that, but there was some instant chemistry in a lot of ways that's exciting and uh, I'll, we'll be all dreaming about it for another week until the Lakers come back next Thursday. We will be back tomorrow to start the All-Star break. Um, but until then, you've been listening to the Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's in. And the Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Van next to the winner. It's on the way. Good. Bryant. 48 points, 16 rebounds. Shaq with his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance in Boston. In Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane, back for Gasol, pretty pass, and it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant, picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, miss it! It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant, yes! And that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. Add insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.